0: So as we've looked at John chapter 8, we've, looked at, we've read all of this, uh, but we've been walking through this. We've been walking through John for uh, a year now, and as we've been walking through John, we got to the point uh, a at well, the beginning of the year where we get to the point of this idea of the festival of the boots. This idea of the festival of the boots, I've said this a lot, and the reason I keep bringing this up is this is still what's going on in the context of this scripture The festival of the booths was originally something that God mandated the Israelites to do before they went into the, uh, the promised land. And what they did was they lived outside of their camp for a week long time and they lived in these tents. And in living in these tents for a week long before going into the promised land, what they did and what they were doing was remembering back how God had provided for them in the wilderness, but then also looking forward to what God would do for them in the promised land. And then after the Israelites did this, this was something that God mandated that the the Israelites and the Jews would do constantly every year they would continue to do this in remembrance of something and what they did it in is they would do it in remembrance of all that God had provided for them in their history as well as is looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. And that's why when we started this whole conversation in John chapter 7, it was the water rites. And in the water rites was that moment of the la- towards the end of the festival, they would take the water and they would take the wine and they would pour it out. And-, and looking for it and declaring that the Messiah that was to come. And in the midst of this, Jesus stood up and he declared, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And what Jesus was saying in that moment is, I am this Messiah. The Messiah is with you. There is no longer a need to do this because I am him. This points to me. But last uh, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at John chapter 8, 12 through 30, where it picked up after that. And after it picked up after that, we looked at this and we saw that Jesus is talking to these Pharisees towards the end of this festival. And there was this moment um, where he says that, He is the light of the world and that he brings light of life to those who believe. So Jesus was teaching during this uh, festival of the tents and he was uh, teaching to them and he was looking and referencing to this huge candle that lit up the the area, the temple and the temple courts and he was referencing that I am the light of the world and those those candles themselves represented the fiery tornado during the time of the Israelites that guided them at night that it was God and Jesus is saying that I am this light. I am what guided your fathers in the wilderness and I am the one that brings light of light life to those who believe in me and this is what jesus told them and and he continued this conversation and at the end of that conversation you saw in verse 30 as jesus was talking to the pharisees in verse 30 it says and um it said and as he was saying these things many believed in him that many not the pharisees but many in the crowd believed in christ now what we're going to look at this morning is what does it mean believed here Uh, Because we do see that word throughout uh, John's letter. We've seen it already where it says that they believed in Jesus, but then they come to find out that they didn't really abide in Jesus. And this morning we're going to be looking at a very similar topic. And really what we're going to be seeing is that Jesus says some things to these people that quote-unquote believed in him because he changes his direction from the seraph Pharisees to those that believed. And ultimately what we're going to see is that Jesus is telling them Is that a true disciple of mine, speaking of Jesus, a true disciple of mine will abide in my word and will cause them to truly be free from sin. And if being free from sin, they will hear my voice and know me, and that the true knowledge will lead unto life, not death, because I am God. That is what Jesus is saying in all of these 20 something verses. And so as we look at it this morning, we're going to start in John chapter 8, verse 31. But we're not going to look at this verse by verse per se. We're going to look at it more and try to do it more of a narrative style. And so when we first and foremost look at it, let's look at 31 and 32. I do want to read that one verbatim. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, see, we, that's what we see here is that he's changing his direction from the Pharisees to the Jews in the crowd that quote-unquote believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So first and foremost, he says this this statement, this is his first and ultimate statement, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So really, that's what we're going to be looking at this entire sermon this morning, is this idea of true discipleship, what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus, what a true disciple is. First and foremost, he says that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And really what we see is this idea of abiding, abiding is trusting, abiding is, is being a part of, it's understanding, it's trusting in. And so the question here is, what is the word of Jesus? If he says that if you abide in my word, if you, if you, if to abide in it, we have to understand what his words are. And so often we look at this and we think of scripture itself. And yes, scripture is the words of God breathed out to us and gave to us through men. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is pointing at here. He's saying, if you abide in my words, talking about what he has already taught them. And we think about what has Jesus already taught these individuals because they have been following him for a while. Many of these people was ones that he would have fed the 5,000. Many of these would have been the ones that as he came back from walking on the water, he would have encountered them again. Many of these are the ones that he stood up and, and he declared, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. So what is he saying? What is Jesus's words here? He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the everlasting water. I am the light of the world. He's ultimately saying that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the one that brings them salvation. And if they abide and trust in him, they are truly his disciples. Now, the issue here is what we're going to see in just a moment is that the individuals that, quote unquote, believed in him were also depending upon their heritage for their salvation. Because what we see in this next part, he goes on and says, they respond to him by saying, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. So their response right outside of the gate of responding to Jesus when he says, if you abide in my word, then you will have everlasting life. When when their response to them immediately says, we are offspring of Abraham. They wasn't trusting in Jesus yet. They didn't truly believe in him as the Messiah. They were trusting in their heritage. They were trusting in the fact that they were a descendant of Abraham, that they were in the covenant of Abraham. They were trusting in that, not trusting in Jesus. But then you see this next statement, it says, and have have never been enslaved to anyone. We see this go even more in depth here, because this idea of never being enslaved to anyone. Now, what we do know about the Israelites and what we do know about the Jews is that at this time in history, they had already been enslaved plenty of times. Um, if you, the earliest one is that they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And then after that, they were enslaved by the Assyrians and the Babylons and Greece and Syria again. Assyria? Assyria? And then not only that, but in this time and day in Jesus' life, the, the, the Jews did not own their land. They were, they were taken in control of by Rome and they were living under Roman authority and Roman government. So what are they saying? Are they saying they've never been enslaved? Because we know that not to be true because they, we know that they have been enslaved several times. And so what are they getting at? What do they mean by this? What we see is that it's most likely what the Jews are talking about is spiritually, inwardly free, freedom and privilege That they were saying they're not enslaved to sin. They're not enslaved to themselves because they are a descendant of Abraham. That they are one that is under the covenant of God. So they are not enslaved. They do not need this man in front of them. They do not need Jesus. See, these quote-unquote believers are already demonstrating their unwillingness to abide in the words of Jesus. For their, their sense of inherited privilege is so strong that they cannot acknowledge their own need for the Savior and recognize God in the flesh that was standing before them. So that's what's going on. That's the issue is here is these religious people are holding on to their religios- religiosity and their heritage and not trusting in Jesus. They were not truly abiding in him. But then Jesus responds to them and he says, I say to you, this is verse 34. He says, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is laying that out there. He's, he's trumping their argument. He's saying if you sinned and you have sinned because all have sinned. We see that in Psalms that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23 quote Psalms that no one is good. No, not one. And so what we see in this is Jesus saying that if you have practiced sin, then you are enslaved to sin. In all reality, this is for us as well, that we are of practice sin. Therefore, if we are not in Christ, we are enslaved to our sins. And that is what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying that you are enslaved to your sin. Though you are a descendant of Abraham, though you are of the heritage of Abraham, if you don't trust in me if, and trust in my eternal life, then you are enslaved to your sin and you will die to your sin. But then, Jesus, that's bad news. But Jesus being the loving God that he is, in verse 36, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That though they were enslaved in their sins... If they come to Christ and they abide in his words, they can be set free from their sins, that they no longer have to walk in their sins. They no longer have to be dead in their sins. They can be saved of their sins. Oh, so thank God for that. Thank God that we no longer have to abide in our sin, but we can abide in Christ and bring us eternal life. Because if, without Jesus, we would have no hope. Without Jesus, there would be no salvation for us. Because all works is as filthy rags to God. So Jesus ends this part of the narrative and he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. They still really don't understand though. This is the common theme with not only the Pharisees and Sadducees, but even some of the people. And we're going to see in a little bit why they don't understand this. But we see first and foremost, we're going to get into the second part of the scripture, which is 38 through 47. And it's this idea that your father is the devil his idea is that their father is not Abraham, their father is not God, their father is the devil. And this is some very, very strong accusations to some people that have grown up in church their entire life and into the religiosity and into the heritage of being a, a Jew. That they have grown up in this, and Jesus is looking them dead in the face and say, Your father's not Abraham, your father's not God, but your father is Satan himself. And first and foremost, in verse thirty-seven. I mean, 38 it says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. Uh, let's look at 37, actually. I'm sorry. 37, uh, I mean, 47, whoever is of God. Where am I at? Yeah, I'm sorry. 38, I speak of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words that finds no place in him. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do uh, what you have heard from your father. So Jesus begins by saying in, in transition, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen of your father. Jesus is comparing himself to these religious people. He's saying I'm doing as the father tells me to and you're doing as your father tells me to, tells you to. But he's saying we have different fathers. We have different heritages that I am of God and you are of Satan. And he goes on and and he says, and they respond to him and says, but Abraham is our father. That Abraham is our heritage. Abraham is our father. They were holding on to that tightly. They were holding on to that heritage so tight that they weren't willing to let it go. But Jesus tells them, he says, if Abraham was truly your father, if you're truly Abraham's children, then you would be doing the work that he did, that you would be trusting in God for faith. And that would be counted to you as righteous." But in all reality, you're not doing the works of your father, Abraham. You're doing the works of your father, Satan. And then they respond to him and uh, really don't get the complete context. But I take it as a jab at Jesus. Since we were not born of sexual morality, we have one father. They're taking a jab at him. They're saying we're, we're, we're not an illegitimate child. Our mother and father didn't have, did not have us out of wed like, like, like you were. You're illegitimate. You're, you're one that was born in iniquity. You were, your parents were sexually immoral, and that's how you were here. They're saying, Our Father is God. But Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. This is what we've seen all throughout John's letter so far. That is, if you abide in me, you will abide in the father. If you abide in the father, you will abide in me. If you trust in me, you will trust in the father. If you trust in the father, you will trust in me. Jesus is saying that if you truly know the father, if you truly one of the father's children, then you will love me. Because Jesus is going to get at it in just a moment. Because he is God. That if you cannot separate loving Jesus and loving God the Father, that is what separates us from the Jews of modern days. They do not believe the same God we believe because we believe in a God that is triune, that is Christ Jesus. Now if you say the Jews and the Israelites of the Old Testament, yes, we would believe in the same God. But today we don't believe in the same God as the Jews because they don't believe in Christ. But we believe in a God that believes that that has sent His only begotten Son into the world to redeem us and that's the Father we believe in. But then Jesus lays it out there. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm just going to talk about this. I'm not going to read it for word for word. But simply what Jesus is saying is, your father, the devil, what he does is he seeks to kill and he seeks to lie. That he's the original liar and he's the original killer. And you seek to do the same thing. You seek to lie and you seek to kill. We actually see that at the very end of this encounter in verse... Um, Fifty nine. So they picked up the stones and they throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of uh, from the people. Is that they were seeking to kill him and they were seeking to lie about him? We see that at the end of Jesus's life on this earth is that they lie about him to have him crucified. And Jesus say, Look, you do the same thing that your father, the devil, does, because he is the author of lies and he is the author of death. Because what we think about and what we know about Satan is that the serpent lied to Adam and Eve and they said what? That you would not truly die, that you would be like God. And in lying to them, what does happen to them? They die. And sin comes to the whole world and when sin comes into the whole world, death to the whole world. And so that's what we see in all this is Jesus saying, your father is the devil and not my father because you do the works of Satan and not the works of God. But then he ends it all In verse 47, it says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. He's saying, look, the reason you don't believe, the reason you don't trust, the reason that you don't understand, the reason why you cannot truly believe and abide in me is because you are not of God, but you are of your father, the devil. And so he's saying this, and these are hard words to present to people, And but he's saying this to be clear and to be honest with them. He's saying, look, you don't trust in me, so you can't trust in the Father because you're not willing to hear my words, abide in my words, and be set free. And then 48 through 58, I'm going to run through this one probably a little bit quicker. But we see in this narrative is that they then ask him this question, are you a Samaritan and have, and do you have a demon? Now, uh, I think most of us have a good understanding of how the Jews believed about Samaritans, right? They disliked them so much so that they would avoid their city altogether. They, didn't, they thought they were unclean. They thought they were worse than the, even the Gentiles. Because ultimately what they were is the Jews and Gentiles that mixed during captivity. And then to make it even worse, they said that you are a Samaritan that has a demon in him. And so they ask him this. They say, are you a Samaritan that has a demon? Are you the lowest of low? Are you in the lowest of all categories in social hierarchy? And Jesus says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. Jesus saying, look, I seek to honor my father. I seek to do the will of my father. I don't have a demon in me, but I am seeking to honor him. But then he goes on. And this next key statement I want to point out says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. It's the same thing he said earlier is that if you abide in me, you will keep my words. And then he's adding on to it here. He says, if you keep my words, you will never see death that if you abide in Christ and keep his word, then you, your life is in his hands. You will never taste death. Now, obviously, that's not a physical death. That's a, a spiritual death. That's not a death of eternity in hell. And just saying, if you abide in me, you will keep my word. If you keep my word, you will never see hell. You will never be punished of your sin for, because you are free and free indeed. And they did not understand this. Go figure. And it says, now we know that you have a demon Abraham and the prophets died and they say, you know, Abraham and the prophets died. Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? For they have died. They don't understand this. They're saying, how can you tell me that we will never die? Because our father Abraham died. Our prophets died. Are you greater than them? And he's going to say that he is in just a moment. But before that, he says, it is my father who glorifies me and whom I say he is our God, that he is trusting, he is doing the will of God. And they still don't understand. And they say, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? He says, look, Abraham waited for my day and he has seen it and he is glorifying in it. And they ask him, you're you're not even 50 years old yet. How have you seen Abraham? They think he's just crazy, man. They really think he's this demon possessed man at this point. They go from believing in him and thinking that he is the Samaritan with a demon in him. It's not true belief yet, is it? But then Jesus' response, and it's the key thing to all of this, and we may come back to this in two weeks. He says "He says this, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is why they sought to kill Jesus. This is why they crucified him. This is why they nailed him to the cross. This is why they hated him. Because in Exodus chapter 3, 13 and 14, then Moses said to him, if I come, to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers who sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? This is the first moment in in all of scripture where God identifies himself to, to somebody specifically. And he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That that God is declaring who he is by saying he is himself because he is the ultimate authority. That I am who I am. It's it's this paradox of saying I am God because I am God and I am greater than anything. But the key thing I want us to see in this is that God's word to Moses to tell the Israelites is that I am has sent me to you. And Jesus, in his last words, in this conversation with these individuals, he says, I say to you before Abraham was, I am Jesus is saying, I am God. That is the authority I have. That is why I can say that if you abide in my word, you would never see death. That if you abide in my words, you will be free and free indeed. That if you abide in my words, you will be saved. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. And because of that, we saw exactly their their desire in verse 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham I was. And then 59. So they picked up the stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They sought to kill Jesus because he was putting himself equal with God and they did not think he was equal with God. But he is God himself in the flesh. And that is the authority it has. And this is the manifestation of what Jesus was saying is that your father is not God, your father is Satan because you seek to lie and to kill just as he did. So we look through all of this there's five things I just want to pull from this. These five statements, I want to just bring them back to our attention real quick. First and foremost, verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That for us to be truly his disciples, we have to abide in his word. And in abiding in his word, it is trusting in him. It's trusting in him to be the man from heaven, to be the eternal, uh, the, the flowing of water that lasts forever. To be the one that provides salvation and the light and the direction of this world. We not only see that if we abide in him, we are truly his disciples. But we also see that if we abide in him, then we are free and free indeed. That he sets us free from our sins. Not only does he set us free from our sins, but we then can hear his words. Because we're of God and not of Satan and not of this world. Not only can we hear of God at that point in our lives, but truly, truly, he says, I say to you, those who keep my words will never see death. That if we abide in his words and we truly are his disciples, that we will never taste death because he has brought us freedom of our sins, that he has cleared our sins away. And why is all of that true? And that is why the most important thing about this morning's sermon Is these last words from Jesus in verse 58? All of that is true, is because he says to them, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That we could truly have salvation in Christ Jesus, because he is God himself in the flesh that took our sins upon his shoulders that nailed it to a cross, that was, took his last breath, gave up his life, was placed in a tomb, rose again, and conquering it all, and then rising again. He has lived on this earth 40 more days. Then he ascended into heaven and he is reigning forever and forevermore. And one day he will return for his people. And as he returns for his people, what we're going to see is that he is God himself and he is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our joy. And if Christ was not God himself, then none of this would be true. And this is what led them to seek to kill him, but this is what we base our entire life off of because Jesus is God Himself in the flesh. So, this morning, as we've looked at this and we've walked through the text, I want to look at some things that we should understand and some things that we should cause us to do. First and foremost, when we understand this, we are to truly, if, if we are truly Jesus' disciples, then we are to depend upon Him for salvation not only for salvation but for thereafter is that we are not maintained by our works that we come to Christ free from sin we come to Christ as a free gift from God but we also are maintained in Christ not, not because we are sin free at that point not because we live the life we're supposed to not because we do the right little things and don't do the wrong things but because Christ is what maintains our salvation from the day that we come to him in salvation to the day that he returns and for an eternity long after that that if we are truly his disciples we depend upon him for salvation and in Christ there is freedom of sins. That is a joy, that is a wonderful thing this morning that we find freedom in Christ from our sins. And those who are of God will be saved by God. And then those and though we will not die, we will not taste death. Though we will die, we will not taste eternal death because we have salvation in Christ Jesus. Now, what does this cause us to do? It causes us to trust in Christ, not only for salvation, but in all areas of life that we are called to trust in him because he is God. He is the creator of the world. He is what maintains us. And then we are to live as we have freedom from our sins by fleeing from sin and running to Jesus. See, the misconception here is that so many people believe that because we are free from our sins and we are no longer in that bondage and because we have forgiveness of sins that we can live however we want to live now. But that is not the case. The case is, because we have been free from sins, we can now flee from sins by running to Jesus. And we cannot flee from sins by any other way than running towards Jesus. We cannot run towards our heart. We cannot run towards ourselves because our self is, is, is depraved and fallen, but we must run to Christ. And with this, we also see is that we share the gospel and trust that God is going to save souls. Because what we saw is that he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I mean, what he says is, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why uh, you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That we share the gospel openly and freely and trust in trusting God to save souls because God is the one that is calling them to himself. All we are is mouthpiece of the gospel to them. All we are is examples of the gospel to them. All we are is a presentation of the truth of God. And we trust in God to save the souls of our loved ones and family members and friends. And then lastly, we hold to the promises of eternal life. As we sung this morning, where could I go but to the Lord? Not only in life, but in death. Not only in death, but in life. Not only in everything everything we go through in this life, we must trust in Christ. There is no other place we can go but to Christ. Salvation in life us our dependence it must be on Jesus and Jesus alone, not of our works, not of our heritage and not of our uh our backgrounds or our church attendance or anything of the such as Troy comes. That's exactly what we see from Jesus to these Jewish individuals. They're trusting and holding on to their heritage of being a descendant of Abraham. And he's saying that that's not enough that you have to trust in me for salvation. If you don't trust in me for salvation, you do not truly abide in me. See, he's talking to these people that quote unquote believed in him, but they, they roughly believed. We don't see that they believed in him for salvation because if they did, they would have abided in him rather than seeking to kill him.